And top of the morning, happy Monday, gang. It is a great day to be alive because you know what you get to do today? You get to download your podcasts, see who's on the schedule, and oh, Acme Army, Andy Herman, Packers genius, Bucks God. Let's get some. It's a great one. Thanks for joining us. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Share, like, subscribe, get it. Ladies and gentlemen, we have one excellent guest here. Episode 101. We are just getting better right now because today we have one of the finest Packer analysts on the internet in the Packer sphere. No other than Andy Herman. Andy, how we doing? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Greatly appreciate it and always excited to talk Packers. So let's do it. Yes, yes. This is going to be great. Uh, Really excited to find out a little bit more about your life and, uh, you know, figure out how you became, you know, this entity that you are right now. Andy. because, you know, you joined Twitter 2009. I've been following you since around 2012, 13, I think, at some point. Uh, You just have been on my timeline for quite some time. And. Let's just roll it. Yeah, let's just roll it back here, though. How in your childhood did you become, you know, Packer fan, Brewer fan? Talk to me. Yeah, it didn't have much of a choice, to be honest. When you grow up in Green (laughs) Bay, it's sort of just in your DNA. Um, And luckily, it's weird because my parents aren't huge sports fans, to say the least. They're (laughs) mostly indifferent. Um, But for some crazy reason, I grew up, you know, 15 minutes from Lambeau Field and they, it still blows my mind to this day that they decided to pay for and have Packers season tickets, even though they, for the most part, couldn't care less. Well, they, they care about it, but very, they're mostly indifferent, Uh but they had season tickets and Uh um, you know, they would usually go. And even to this day, they usually go to maybe one game a season. So like Mm -hmm. they, they use it to like, they've never sold them for more money or anything. They've always just, you know, allowed friends or other family members to go at face value. So people could get to experience the stadium and things like that. But, um, you know, one of my first, the first game that I remember going to, um, I'm eight years old and it's Bengals Packers, Brett Favre, you know, Kittrick Taylor makes his appearance for an injured Don Mikowski and, and the rest was history. And you, you know, were at that game. That was, that was your game. first game. That's, that's my first game. And, oh, get uh, out of here. and, uh, you know, my, they would, the Kittrick Taylor catch was in my end zone in the North end zone where we sat, where I sit to this day. Get- um, and my dad lifts me up so I could see over the crowd. So I could see exactly. <laughs> and I see Taylor, you know, I can see it to this day, you know, in the back of the end zone, the catch that he makes and Favre running around like a maniac. Um, I was upset, of course, because I thought Ty Detmer should have been coming in at age eight. That was my first, <laughs> that was my first of many bad Packer takes to come over the years. Uh, but I was very upset because I thought Ty Detmer should be the backup and not this Brett Favre guy. But uh, it ended up working out all right. And basically, when you go, when you you know grow up in the backyard of Lambeau Field, and you go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers for thirty plus years. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, right? Sure does not. It sure does not. So. I mean, what was your, so your parents aren't into the sports too much. What was it like in your childhood? Was your mother just like, Andrew, did she call you Andrew or Andy? Andrew, <laughs> what are you doing in the bathroom so long? And you'd just be like, I, I'm, I'm reading the 1979 Packers program, mom. I'm just, you know, is, is that, uh, is that pretty much what you were doing? Just digging into data. How did you get involved in, in the aspects of the Packers? Yeah. I mean, I think they were probably very happy that it was something that kept me distracted and out of trouble and everything else, because, you know, from the day that I got invested into it, it was always, you know, reading up on the stats and, you know, I was, I was one of the very first people, I mean, I was running, I'm sure what was a very illegal fantasy football ring throughout my (laughs) grade school, middle school, just about everything else. Um, you know, getting the box scores from the green Bay press Gazette and, you know, giving out points to everyone. So I was always the commissioner. Um, I think I won my very first fantasy football league. I don't think I've won one since. So I, that was, uh, you know, back in the day, but that's um, like Eric, you know, he started a league and he won it by cheating. He only had three passwords for 10 teams. That's how he won. It was great. There you go. There you go. That's, that's a good, whatever it takes to run. Um, but, uh, no. So, I mean, I think obviously one, it was keeping me out of trouble, but you know, two, um, it was just, it, it became an immediate passion of mine. And, you know, I say to this day, you know, I didn't pay much attention in high school. I paid attention to sports and I didn't pay much attention in college. I paid attention to sports. And yeah. thankfully I was, 
able to get by in high school and college to still get a degree in both and, uh, and, and be successful in my day job. But um, I basically got a PhD you know, in just understanding and, and being able to dissect sports in a different way um, while I was just messing around on the side, frankly. So that's kind of how everything came to fruition a little bit. Well, st- well, sticking with that sort of school theme, um, in, in uh, I've been reading your stuff for quite a long time. Thank you. Uh, but it really didn't have a, a, a reason to go and look at you personally at all. And one of the things in, in uh, on your page talks about uh, courses in professional scouting uh, from the National Football Post and Sports Management Worldwide. Yep. We've never really had anyone that uh, has any sort of professional We're trying degree. to figure out DVOA, Andy. Yeah, and so could you could you touch a little bit on on what it's like to to learn about scouting? Yeah, it was interesting. So I'll be transparent. You know, there were things that I learned from the the scouting classes that were certainly helpful. It wasn't anything earth shattering for me. It was you know a lot of the stuff that I understood about football. I you know I knew already going into that course. It was it was definitely interesting getting, you know, people who have been in scouting, who have been general, Mark Dominic, who was the general manager of the, the Tampa Bay Bucks was one of the, you know, professors or whatever you wanted to call it, one of the instructors in that course. So getting to see things through their eyes and how they handled things um, is definitely helped me put myself in like a general manager's shoes to be able to write some of the articles that I write and do some of the videos that I do. So that, that certainly helped with stuff. And I definitely can, look at a player like Josh Allen's a a perfect example, the quarterback for the bills, right? A lot of people looked at Josh Allen uh, on tape and they, and then they looked at the stats and they said, he's, he's an inaccurate quarterback. You, you know, why would anyone draft the guy this high? You, You can't be an inaccurate quarterback in college and then go in the pros and be an accurate quarterback. It just doesn't happen. And I totally, I, that's mostly true. They're not wrong when they say that. But you, when you have a, a background and a history in, in scouting and how to identify players, I mean, Josh Allen is a scout's wet dream. He's literally everything that you could possibly want from a piece of clay as a quarterback. He's got the size, the agility, the arm strength. Like he's literally like if you could draw up in the scouting manual what a quarterback would look like, it would be Josh Allen. And then now it's just, can you tweak it to make him a little bit more of an accurate passer? And if you can, you've got what now Josh Allen looks like. I didn't know if he was going to work out either. I'll be totally transparent with that. I certainly had my doubts uh, to see if he could kind of be better, uh, that much better in the NFL than what he was, especially his last year in college. But to be able to recognize some of those, those tendencies and the things that he did and why an NFL team and an NFL scout would, you know, be salivating over the idea of Josh Allen, knowing those things again, is just super helpful as I try to be able to break down things again for, for, you know, fans of the Packers and things. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to detract too much from the football conversations, but while we got you on, yeah, we are, I mean, you got a brewer cap on, we are game one just finished of the Bucks Phoenix game. Yep. Giannis comes back. Is Giannis Antetokounmpo the Greek freak, the, the 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 freakiest freaks of all freaks that we've seen coming back a week after hype? That hyperextension looked nasty. I was I yeah, the only I mean, one that was thinking this is ACL. We're, we're he's done for twelve months. Yeah, I mean, I don't think if if the next morning the news came out that he was out not only for the playoffs but the all of next year. I don't think there would have been a person in the world that would have been surprised and yeah. been like, wow, I can't believe out of that injury. That's what happened. I think. And if you would have told me, if you would have said he's out the playoffs in all of next season, or he's back in a week, man, I would have bet a ridiculous sum of money that he was out for the playoffs in all of next season. Yeah. Um, the fact that the fact that he's not only playing, he's, I don't know if you guys saw this, it was just released. He's not on the injury report for game two. It's not, he's questionable. It's not, he's probable. He's not on the injury report for, for game two. The freak. That is, I mean, it's, it's beyond freak at this point. That's some Wolverine crap right there. Yeah, it really is. It really (laughs) is. Self-healing. That's like not only to have the pure athleticism that he does, but the elasticity, because this isn't the first time he's had something like this. There was um, actually, um, uh, the low post, the podcast does a tremendous job. They had Marcus Johnson on and they were taught Marcus Johnson was talking about how 
Giannis against a game in Portland. I don't know when it was, but a game in Portland where he had, a, he took a really nasty spill or something in, uh, you know, practice leading up to the game where it was like the pregame, pregame warmups and stuff. And they take a look at him and um, Marcus Johnson's being like, oh, he's going to be out for like a week at least. And he played in the game. And like, and he ended up sitting out like the next game just to get some rest or whatever, but he played like 40 minutes in that game is what Johnson was saying. So like, this is not the first time. And to have, again, so many of these big physical athletic players, it's almost like sometimes, especially when you're seven feet plus, it can be to your detriment because you have so many moving parts and you've got so many things that can go wrong and one hit the wrong way or one, whatever. All right, well, he's going to be out for a while. And it's the fact that it's just the opposite with Giannis um, is crazy. And I'll say that the last thing I'll say on this too, is there's a lot of luck that goes into injuries and things like that too. But NBA and NFL teams look at the makeup of a player and their injury history and how they recover from injuries and all of that stuff when they're building a team. And you know, again, a lot of the stuff that happens, like even Giannis's injury wasn't, you know, it's, it's just a freak injury. It's not like anyone at any position, the same thing happens, it's going to hurt him. But the fact that he's built the way that he is and has that type of body, like that goes into all the draft evaluation of trying to build a team that's going to be able to stay healthy for a stretch run into the playoffs. So, you know, it's it's not to say that some of these teams who have had the injuries, including the Bucks with Giannis and DiVincenzo, that it, it's not unlucky, but you build your roster full of players that you think can handle the rigors of an 82 game season plus a playoffs. And so if, if teams like, you know, Kawhi Leonard is a great example, right? He has a history of these type of injuries. If you're going to go out and sell the entire farm for this guy, you know that there's a chance that he could have the exact same thing happen again. And you got to go into the playoffs. with just Paul George and a bunch of guys who played great, by the way, but you're not going to have, you might not have your alpha in, in that series and it clearly cost them. So um, yeah, I'm interested to see, we saw Chris Paul have the kind of the rolled ankle. We'll see, you know, he moved great right after, but you know, he's getting up there in age. He's played more playoff minutes than he's ever played before. Um, you know, all this th- stuff is going to be really interesting. We saw Saric go down with the torn ACL. Yeah, it's gosh. all going to be really interesting That's as we be a big one. series play yeah, out. You know, a quick, quick question, just sticking with the Bucks just for a last second. And I think with an NFL team, given the nature of the game, um, the number of different positions with entirely different responsibilities got to be much harder than basketball. But the thing that, that I've questioned about the Bucks just the last, it's over the last two years, but you got a guy who's playing on your team. He's playing on the G league in Christian Wood. You have him for nothing. You have him for nothing. How is he not a Milwaukee bar? <laughs> yeah. I mean, those how, things are I mean, always how do these guys that do this for a living miss that yeah. when he's in the house. And the weird thing is, is it, it, I don't think anyone that's watching him is that surprised by what he's doing in Houston and and how well he's played in Houston. And I think part of it was probably the fit with Giannis and, um, and Lopez, right? Like now granted, you can never have enough depth and things like that, but I think part of it was that, and it just, it didn't always fit in in the perfect way, but no, I agree with you. And we, we see this happen all the time. And I mean, look at Adamas for the Brewers right now, right? It's the exact opposite. How do you as and I get that they had Wander Franco coming up, who is there is going to be, you know, one of the next stars of this league. And, you know, you got to figure out how you want to do some of that stuff. But um, it it happens all the time. And the Brewers have been one of the team job of taking advantage of some of those reclamation projects and, and making them successful. Um, you know, even, you know, the, the Bucks had happened. Brooke Lopez, for the most part, is, a, I mean, they got him on, you know, what was it? It wasn't a vet min, but it was uh, maybe like a bi- biannual or a mid-level exception, um, you know, just kind of on the, the scrap heap a little bit. You know, th- these things happen and, you know, it's always frustrated when you, frustrating when you see it happen and they go to another team and they're successful. Um, but I think overall, if you look at Wisconsin sports as a whole, I would say, I think for the most part, Wisconsin sports teams have done a better job of finding those hidden gems than usually losing those hidden gems. But with the Christian Wood, it's frustrating when it happens to say the least, but look at Middleton. I mean, friggin' yeah. a, I mean, Chris, Middleton, <laughs> uh, he's a throw in, in the trade package for the, with the Brandon Jennings, Brandon Knight deal. And he becomes easily not only the best player in that deal. I mean, he's, you know, he's led the bucks to the finals for goodness sake. So um, these things just have a way of happening and you hope you win more than you lose. Well, the thing about Brooks Lopez that I love is that, uh, you you know, just his, his whole career, it's been kind of long. You've you've looked at, ah, he's had that potential. Now that he's with the bucks right now, 
totally different role than he's had. A whole lot more opportunities. But just what I noticed as soon as Sark went out and Frank the Tank comes back in, I mean, it, he looked like Squiggy next to Lenny, for God's <laughs> sakes. Like, Brooks Lopez is a titan of a man. I, like, he was a lot bigger than I gave him credit for. And that's because he plays alongside a, a seven-foot Giannis. You know, these yeah. other big guys in there. And Giannis is tall, tall, skinny. But Brooks is just – he's a – a huge man, which I thought, you know, he dominated so well on the inside. Why is he playing up and trying to, you know, guard Booker and, and, and Paul on the, I don't know. How, how much time do you have? I don't know. I just, <laughs> just killed me. Killed me. But anyway. All right. Then uh, uh, Drew Holiday. Just one more question. Yeah. Is Drew, is Drew Holiday worth the money? We're going to find out the next, you know, I, I think it's already worth it, right? You got to an NBA finals. I, I don't think you get there with Eric, you know, with Eric blood. So, um, yeah, here's the thing. None of the picks that they gave up are probably going to be anything worth much. Right. So like, they're all going to be, when you have Giannis, you're, you're going to be in the playoffs, no matter what. Um, you know, even, and we saw this year, even if Giannis is out, the, the bucks are a playoff team without Giannis for the next couple of years, at least. So even if, you know, no matter what those picks aren't going to be anything, it's not like they're lottery picks. So you, if you, if I told you that the bucks traded a bunch of picks in the high twenties, Eric Bledsoe, you know, for, for Drew Holiday. I mean, I, I think you do that deal a hundred times out of a hundred and they've put themselves in a position already in year one with, uh, with Holiday to potentially win a finals. And to be fair, those last couple games in Atlanta or against Atlanta, you know, Holiday was great. And he was a huge, you know, piece in, in getting them over the hump. If, if that's Eric Bledsoe, I don't think, I think that it's, it's Hawks Suns right now. So, I mean, Holiday needs to play. I think Holiday would be the first one to tell you he needs to play better than he did um, in game one. But I think that's one of the things that you take away from that game is that, you know, the Suns, I thought, played great in game one. I really thought they did. I think the Bucs played okay, certainly not their best basketball. And then you, you, you learn from that and you adjust and you make adjustments. You know, we know Bud's not the greatest at in-game adjustments, but in, in the series against Brooklyn, against Atlanta, we've seen him make in-series adjustments that have been great. And now it's up to players like Drew Holiday. And, and I, uh, one last thing, I'll say this quickly too. In game one against, against um, Brooklyn, they lost that series. They lost game one, right? Against Brooklyn. I'm, I think they did. So they lose against, I, I, after, when you sweep a team and they don't really put up any resistance and then all of a sudden you're going up against Kyrie and Harden and, and well, you know, whoever was healthy, I forget. I think it was Kyrie and Durant in game one and a really good Nets team. There's an adjustment period. You all, you, you walked through the, the heat and now you all of a sudden have to go against a team. That's a totally different team. And I always thought game one was going to go to the Nets because there was going to be that natural adjustment. Then you fought tooth and nail seven games in a literal boxing match of a series and I said game one is going to be struggle for the Bucs against the Hawks because I think they're I didn't think they had any legs left. And we saw it fourth quarter game one. It was just a totally different night and day. They were winning up until that point. They just didn't have any legs left. They got through that game. They lost it, but they got their legs under them and they made the adjustments and won ultimately won that series, even without Giannis. And I thought game one in Phoenix for a different reason with with getting Giannis back in. They just played two great games with ba team basketball with no Giannis and now you're bringing in this alpha male back into the equation and you've got to refigure out and rewire how you do everything than you, that you just did for the last two games. That's why in a way I thought that was why it was important that Giannis played because I felt like this was going to be a feel out game for the Bucks. I thought there was a huge um, advantage for the, the Suns in game one, but now they kind of got that out of the way. We saw that Giannis can move. We saw that he can be himself. Now it's making those adjustments and seeing if you can steal one in Phoenix in game two. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, Andy. Great points. Damn. Damn. Great you can said. go all you can go all day all over the place, can't you? I got nothing better to do. Man, oh man. Hey, so I gotta ask you another question, just uh, on the personal side. You're married, correct? Correct. Got children? Two kids. Two kids. Are you a girl dad? I am a boy dad, two boys. I two <laughs> three to seven. Four and a seven. Oh. Just turned four. Yeah, you're in the heart of it right now. Yeah, I got a nine and a, nine and a 13. So how are you making the balance with uh, what you're doing in, in the family life? That's my question. 
Yeah. So I, I tell this story quite a bit and it depends on if you want to look at it as good news or bad news, but um, my entire family, wife and two kids are pretty much in bed by about eight 30, uh, you know, every night that they're, they're early um, risers and early to bed. Um, so, and I'm the exact opposite. I'm, I don't go to bed till about one 30 usually each night. Um, so I have from eight 30 to one 30, pretty much yeah. by myself to do whatever there is that needs to be done yeah. uh, from a, a sports standpoint, you know, whether it's watching games, whether it's, you know, doing the podcast, doing these sort of things, mm-hmm. um, usually I have that time available. So That's um, I know where I fill my time and I've lost a lot of, uh, you know, I don't, my, my movie knowledge, my TV knowledge, all that <laughs> stuff is sort of uh, hitting the fan and I don't, I don't get to watch any of that stuff quite as much as I, I used to, my, I used to dominate dominate Madden. I can't play video games to lick anymore. All that stuff's gone out the window and my hobby has kind of become this, but um, that's kind of how I balance it. It's, it's, yeah. it's basically, I work during the day then it's family time from work until they go to bed. And then it's me doing my, basically my second job in a way um, yeah. from, from eight thirty on. Awesome. That's great. That's great. All right. Well, let's move on to uh a little Packer talk here because you have just really one of the best platforms, Andy, that's out there and what you're doing right you. now. I love the uh, picture that you've put up behind you um, for the YouTube. But, I mean, talk to talk to us real quick about Pack-A-Day and how you got involved in this because what you're putting out content-wise is an incredible amount, and uh, it's fantastic content. Your deep dives are amazing. I've listened to damn near everyone except the Jordan Love because I wanted to talk to you about it a little bit. <laughs> Well, thank you. I, again, I, it's super nice of you guys to say, and um, I really appreciate that. Um, I've told this story as well, but uh, you know, part of the, in the back of my mind is, is sort of everyone was kind of starting to do a podcast, and it was something that, like, if you were, I don't know, writing about the team or involved, you know, whatever, with, with whether it's Brewers, Bucks, Packers, any sports team you know, usually somebody has a podcast in some capacity, right? And that can range from, you know, maybe they're a guest on a podcast once a month. Maybe they've got their own podcast that they do once a week. Um, my wife would laugh at this, but I'm I'm a zero or a hundred. I'm or an A or an F. There's, there's no B, C, D. There's no 99 through one. It's zero or a hundred. So it's going to be all or nothing. Um, and that's pretty much with the most things that I do. So I, what my inspiration, well, one is, so it was so, sort of like swirling in my mind of like, all right, if, if I want to continue to grow and continue want to do something, I probably need to be involved in a podcast in some capacity. And I was thinking about maybe launching my own. Um, and the daily, the New York times is something that I listen to quite often, which is a daily, uh, news podcast. Basically yeah. Michael Barbaro does five episodes a week, Monday through Friday, And, you know, it's about 20 minutes, you know, maybe sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, but it's right around there. And that was kind of my thought is, you know, I think we could do five episodes a week, you know, Monday through Friday, um, have five people, myself do Monday, somebody do Tuesday, somebody Wednesday, somebody Thursday, somebody Friday, if they want to have guests on or whatever, but I would have five people that would be in charge of this. um, And then we would each have one day that we'd be responsible for, um, you know, we would um, launch it in that way. And I was kind of putting it off. And to be totally honest, I didn't want, I didn't want to do it. I was, I'm super lazy sometimes with stuff. And I just was like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do add anything more to my plate. Um, and certainly not a podcast. And then the name pack a day came along and I, I kind of came up with it. And um, I'm it's like, fantastic. Uh, thank you. I'm it's like, marketing. Right. Genius. I mean, it's marketing yeah, it is. gold. It is. <laughs> I mean, pack a day, your logo, everything. I, you're, you're freaking gold, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. So came up with the name and within five minutes posted on Twitter, um, you know, Hey, if anyone's interested in joining me to do a podcast, let me know. I'd reached out to a couple people. Um, I think Zach Jacobson, uh, Dusty Evely were, and I think um, a tub too, I think were a few people that I might've reached out to directly to see if they'd have interest. Um, but also put a, you know, put the offer out there for anyone that was potentially interested and um, I got over 200 people who were interested, including a ton of the amazing people <laughs> now on the team. Um, and honestly, the hardest thing of the podcast up until this day was sorting, uh, uh, you know, from 200 plus people uh-huh. down to what eventually was about 20 that I think we originally started with. And we've uh-huh. added some people and lost some people um, along the way. But um, that was kind of the the whole start of everything. And we had so many people that not only were we able to do five episodes, but we were obviously able to do 365. I still had major trepidation that, 
what was going to happen is everyone was going to bail last minute and be like, Oh, I couldn't do it. And I was going to end up doing like 300 of the 365 <laughs> year, which now that I'm doing the video, I guess I'm sort of doing anyway, but um, yeah. didn't really want to do that at the time, but they've been everyone on that team, everyone to a T is just the absolute best of people. Um, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a joke. It's not just me saying it like they are. I mean, I'm, I was out for a couple months when, when I had my gallbladder out and they handled everything. If I'm going to be out doing something, if I need somebody to cover for me, uh, they, I, you know, they're always willing to step up. I'm not even the one who's done the most episodes on my own podcast. Uh, Jacob Westendorf, <laughs> Andrew Murtag have both done more, uh, episodes of pack a day than I've done. Um, the entire group is just beyond insane. And I owe so much credit to all of them. They're, they're just wonderful, wonderful. Well, people. it's, it's in no way surprising. You actually have courses in talent evaluation. Under your own, right? <laughs> so, well, that, and, and my day job is recruiting. So I, I know how to oh, awesome. Awesome. And, and interview people and, um, find people to, to fill a team and things like that as well. But, um, even still, listen, you put a group of 20 people together and there's, so I don't know if I can, there's always an asshole, right? Like there, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's 20 <laughs> Packer fans, 20 Bear fans, 20 Christians, 20, whatever. It doesn't yeah. like, matter, 20 of anything. And you're going to have at least one ass. There's no asshole in this group. And yeah. I'm, I'm probably it. If I can't identify it, it's probably the problem. It's the, the old uh, poker analogy. If you can't spot the sucker at the table, it's you. Yeah. Um, if you can't spot the, the jerk in, uh, in the podcast group, you're it but in all seriousness there's there's no jerk in that group and they're they're an amazing group of people oh that's awesome that's awesome well i mean the packer content is fantastic and we got some things to talk about real quick here because uh i know your time is valuable here but you you did a a great deep dive in episode 292 of uh devondre campbell and you know eric and i kicked him around a couple times and basically Going off really your assessment of him, you know, he is a see ball, get ball kind of guy, I think is what you said in your description. Yep. But when Eric and I were talking about him, I mean, was he coming in for competing for the starting or was he there to be in that rotation with Kamal? Um, it just seemed like Chris Barnes is going to be that that one that's carrying over from last year. Kamal was the the one that we had questions about. What does he need to show you? to to improve upon what he did last year to compete with with Devondre Campbell. Yeah, Kamal Martin, you mean? Yes, Kamal. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing with Kamal. Kamal plays at a million miles per hour and he's super aggressive and he shoots gaps and he, you know, he wants to be a playmaker and he wants to go make plays. And I'll be the first to say, as somebody who's been critical of AJ Hawk and Blake Martinez for not being aggressive and being a bit more passive probably in a way how they were coached, right? In, in trying to not give up big plays. We'll keep things in front of us. We don't want to give up big plays. We don't want to shoot one gap and have a running back go out the other for a big play. We want you staying in the middle of the field and making sure we're not allowing those, those big gaping runs to happen. We'll live with the rest. Um, but for somebody that's been critical of, of Hawk and Martinez over the years of being a little bit more passive, um, it's tough to speak out of the other side of my mouth and say, Kamal Martin's too aggressive, um, mm -hmm. but he's too aggressive. Uh, and I think a lot of last year was rookie stuff. And you yeah. could just tell his head was swimming. Um, and instead of, he almost did the opposite, right? So most rookies get in there, their head's swimming, mm -hmm. but to sit for that extra second and then, and then sort of react to what happens after that and not just be playing fast and quick and know what's going to happen and go and just play off of instinct. Yeah. And most, you know, we saw that with Darnell Savage a bit as rookie season, and now he's more coming along playing a little bit more instinctual football. Jair Alexander, same thing, a little bit more passive his first year. Now we see him flying all over the place. Kamal was almost the opposite. He's like, I, I don't know what I'm, what I'm, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to shoot my gun. And I'm just going to, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to do it at a million miles per hour. And first of all, I respect the hell out of, of wanting to play past, wanting to play aggressive. Yeah. Um, but he just needs to, to tone it down a step and just let the game come to him, do the things that he's responsible for on each individual play and let the game come to him a little bit more. That being said, if you would have asked anyone that was in training camp last year, did that actually got to see it? Any of the reporters, anyone like that, 
he was the rookie that stood out by far the most in training camp, making a play a day, yeah. some big hits in the backfield when they allow, like there was a couple of plays where the, the, the pads had a huge pop to it. And it was always Kamal Martin was around when, <laughs> uh, when they allowed to do some of the live tackling periods uh, with this young, uh, with the younger players towards the end of camp. Um, Kamal Martin was always the guy. He, he was the standout of all the rookies in, in training camp last year. There's talent there. Um, he, again, he, he doesn't lack for athleticism. He doesn't lack for, um, you know, aggressiveness. It's just figuring out the game, having it slow down and letting everything come to him a little bit more. I think when he does that, when he understands it, and when he figures out some of the tendencies and the nuances, then that's when you get that gut feeling and you want to shoot off in one direction, shoot a gap, make, go make a play now, go do it, but make sure you know what you're doing. The other thing too, is when he would do it, he was going so fast and almost like his head down and like, he would just blow by players, miss tackles, some things like that too. So it's just, it's just slowing down. It's just, it's a lot of rookie stuff, but almost in the opposite way. A couple, couple of statements in the question. One, when he was a rookie and two, the ability to make that explosive miss doesn't exist in a lot of players. Agreed. And 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 so the question that I'm I want to throw at you after that is I mean is he in the perfect situation with Joe Barry now to learn that linebacking position to where I mean I based on the athletic ability we we all knew that he had the potential to play is that potential a lot more likely to be realized um, with this type of a coaching staff because man he he sure looked like he has tremendous upside. Yeah, to your point I think you would rather have it be this way than the other way around, right? Like I mean, at the end of the day, Chris Barnes was better than Kamal Martin by, in my opinion, a fairly healthy margin a season ago. If you told me one of them was a pro bowler in three years, I'd probably lean towards Kamal Martin just because he has more of the physical gifts to be able to get there. Um, I still like, you know, um, Barnes better than Kamal Martin at this point. I think Barnes probably has an overall brighter future, but um, Martin just has a little bit more of that upside. And again, if, if, if you're a coach, you probably want to try to harness that upside a little bit more with Kamal Martin. Um, and then as far as, you know, Joe Barry, I mean, Joe Barry obviously has the linebacking, you know, coach um, in his, you know, in his repertoire and, and knows how to do some of that stuff. So, you know, maybe he can, you know, figure out something or, you know, you know, open up Kamal's eyes a little bit more to something and certainly within the realm of possibility. I think sometimes that stuff, you know, we talked a lot about Jerry Gray, you know, a season ago, you know, I didn't yeah. see anything different from Josh Jackson. I didn't see anything different <laughs> from, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, from Kevin King, from Chandon Sullivan, like, these guys are who, who they are and they, they more often than not, they need to figure it out on their own. And it's not to say good coaching can't help. It certainly can. It certainly puts you in a better position, but at the end of the day, uh, these players are uh, insane athletes, really good football players. And it's very few. And I think we, we so often get lost in like, who's going to make the 50, like who's the last guy on the 53 man roster, yeah. or who's going to be the sixth corner. What we lose sight of is, who's going to take that jump from good to great. Like who's like Tunyon did in a way, I don't know, maybe great's a little bit um, extreme for Tunyon, but like, who's going to make that jump from being like a guy to being a really good football player. Like, Tunyon. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, that's what, that's what I'm looking for is, you know, who on this roster is going to be that next guy that takes a, a significant step and is not only, you know, able to go out there and be, solid but who can go out there and actually be somebody that's going to change your fortunes in in games and in, hopefully in the playoffs mm -hmm. so you've had a quite you have a better understanding of defenses in the nfl joe barry coming on to the team right now can you sum up just in a nutshell for basic fans um what's the difference between his defense and Patton's defense yeah are we going to see difference I'll be the first to tell you, you know, I, I didn't, I haven't studied Joe Barry's defense in great okay. detail. I haven't looked at it, you know, to a, a T, but I've talked to, if you're, if you can't be the smart one, talk to people who are smarter. And I've talked to a couple of people who are smarter, including Ben Fennell. I know Ross Uglum did a really great breakdown in the Cheesehead TV draft guide as well. I had the opportunity to read that. Um, my, my understanding of it and from the stuff that I have looked at is this is a zone style defense, obviously. Um, and, and honestly, the philosophy is not that dissimilar from what Mike Pettin was trying to do a season ago. And this is, this is the way of the league and the way that things are going. This is a bend, but don't break style NFL right now, because if you are going against young and experienced quarterbacks, 
you're saying, Hey, we're going to make you go 80 yards with dink and dunk. And we don't think you can get there without screwing something up. We think there'll be a holding. We'll think we'll be able to get our hands in a football. Maybe you'll fumble. Um, maybe we get a breakup on a big third down. We think we don't think you're going to go 80 yards. And if you get a field goal, we're willing to accept that. We don't, we don't care about that. We're just going to make sure you don't get in the end zone. And the biggest way that we can do that is by making sure that we don't give up explosive plays. And I think that's going to be something that Joe Barry stresses very much as well. I think you're, you see a lot of two safety defense from this um, Joe Barry, you know, and uh, Vic Fangio and, and Brandon Staley um, style defense. Hey, can we, put, can we pause right there? Because you had mentioned, which I thought was a fantastic idea for potential free agents to pick up. And you had mentioned Malik Hooker mm -hmm. and adding Malik Hooker. When I first thought about it, I went, what? And then, then we're talking about money. What's the value he's going to bring? Yep. Again, this is where I, Joe Barry's defense to utilize three safeties like that, that just – it brings up that star role I just can't digest. I mean, is there two players you – you know, or, or one player you're thinking that's going to shine with this defensive role or – I don't know that I'm going to say that a player is going to shine, but I think the player that I'm most keeping an eye on is Darnell Savage and to see how they use him. Um, because Darnell Savage played much better closer to the line of scrimmage and played much better when he didn't have to think quite as much and could just react and go in, in a similar way. This is going to scare some people, but in a similar way to Josh Jones, where when you put Josh Jones closer to the line and just let him freak out and, you know, go nuts and run to the football, he showed his athleticism and what he could do on a field when you put him back at safety and there was more stuff to digest and more to think about and more, you had to all of it. Like he didn't, he couldn't do any of it right and to this day, even with Jacksonville still struggling to get all of that down um, with Savage. It's not that extreme. He has the ability to do just about anything, whether it's cover play zone, play man, um, you know, come up, uh, play deep safety, sideline to sideline, whatever you ask him to do, he can do. But the more you can get him playing instinctual and the more that you can get him in that robber role, um, playing close to the line, playing some zone, doing some sneaky stuff, coming off a of blitz off the edge, his his power sort of power up in that way. So um, and, and if you have him playing as a safety and they're doing a lot of two deep safeties in a way that's taking away some of the stuff that has been really successful for Darnell Savage at the same token. If you told me a skill set that would be able to do some of that post snap adjustments that that this defense demands, being able to be in a too high look and then do something crazy and you know smash down to the line of scrimmage or you know pretend like you're sneaking up in a single high and then zoom all the way back and do a bunch of crazy stuff post snap. I mean, Darnell Savage is is the guy like he can get to any spot on the field in a very quick period of time. So <laughs> I, I don't know that I'm, you know, I'm not willing to say that this is going to be good, bad or indifferent yeah. for Darnell Savage, but I'm, he's definitely the guy that I'm really intrigued by and keeping an eye on in this defense. Yeah. You just got me fired up. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's for sure. Hey, are you good? Are you going on time? I'm sorry. I, I want to be respectful of your time, Andy. I, yeah. yeah, I got a few more minutes. Okay. I'm sorry, Eric, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I'm, I typically bought this is the time when I start asking really stupid questions. Um, but, and, you know, I'm one of those guys that thought, you know, hey, maybe uh, maybe this guy can play safety. And what I'm thinking is if Darnell Savage does play a bit of that star role where he is closer, and, and so the, the need for a second safety or a deep safety uh, is there. The thing I was thinking about last, last week was – playing zone and playing back with room doesn't that sort of to me that seems like that fits Kevin King's game and could somebody with his length and speed um, play that adequately or especially the star position no 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 if, if you if if you slide if you slide savage into star you then have Amos and then you got Vernon Scott and black and I don't. I think they they seem to me to be more close to the line of scrimmage kind of guys than someone who's deep in coverage, and I just thought you know maybe maybe that's a role for Kevin King given his length and speed. Yeah. So there's a, there's so many things that go into this, right? So you look at the 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 size, the the speed, the coverage ability. You look at that and you put it at safety, and you think yeah, you know that that could be something that fits. Um, but then there's two other key things that go into playing safety. One, obviously being tackling, right? Um, you have to be a sure tackler as, as a last line of defense. Um, and I don't know that I would feel super safe and comfortable <laughs> with Kevin King um, being in that position. You have to take great angles to the football, which is something that I'm not sure I feel great about Kevin King in that position. And then at the end of the day, 
the, the word is right in the position and that's safe. You have to be like, there's aggressive plays that you can make at safety. Um, and there are definitely, there's a time and a place for that, but your job it like one, a, if you're, if you're putting like a, a list together of like your job description and what's one a on that list, it's to be the safe last guy of defense. That's not going to be allowing explosive big plays mm-hmm. and all those things I just mentioned, sure. Tackling, taking good angles to the football, making sure nobody gets behind you in the deep quarter of the field, like a Scotty Miller, for example, like those are all things that are insanely important for safety. And I just, I think, you know, unfortunately the job description doesn't fit Kevin King perfect in those scenarios. No, you're absolutely Mark right. one down for the kid. All right. We're done with that discussion, Boomer. Hey, uh, I got one more final question for you because uh, I, I want to touch on, I don't want to talk about number 12. We are 12 free on this podcast right now. We're going to let those things settle down. But one of my favorite players in the world uh, has been Alan Lazard. And, uh, you know, he is one of the most undermentioned wide receivers in the national media. He gets very little consideration for an honest number two receiver for the Green Bay Packers. What we saw from his potential, you mentioned it earlier, injuries, how people draft, you know, how, how we grade people. We've seen a lot of potential. What I'm getting at is when you have a Devante and a Lazard and these new weapons that we got from a receiver, can a quarterback like Jordan Love, from what we've seen, because Eric and I were, we were pretty excited about the draft pick. It wasn't, we, we were like, hey, maybe this is going to start a little fire. Well, sure, surely it did. But it just seemed like he, we need to keep that shell full, and Jordan Love seems like he's got all the tools to make that happen with some development. And I just, I want to see what you think as far as the potential drop off or successes that can be had just because of the surrounding cast that he has, I think is, is fantastic. Offensive line weapons. What's your thoughts? Yeah. So the, the crux of the question is, is, is can Jordan love survive or like thrive with this offense and the weapons that are currently there? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I, I mean, the biggest thing for me is, is Matt LaFleur. Like, listen, this is a system that is, tries to make things as easy as possible for the quarterback. And whether that's, you know, Matt Ryan having an MVP caliber season, and it's not exactly like Matt LaFleur was responsible for that, but we saw what a Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur style system can do um, for, for a Matt Ryan. We saw, um, you know, we saw Jimmy Garoppolo play, you know, some of his best football behind that sort of offense. But we've also seen when you get a high level talented player, whether it was John Elway with the Broncos with, with his dad, um, with Mike Shanahan, whether it was Aaron Rodgers last year with Matt LaFleur, when you can get high level quarterback play with that system, then it goes through the roof. But uh, this is a system that can work for all levels of quarterbacks. And we see that sometimes there can be a ceiling on that, right? Sean McVay was able to get Jared Goff to a Super Bowl. Jared Goff couldn't get him past that. You know, Jim, uh, Kyle Shanahan was able to get Matt Ryan and, and Jimmy Garoppolo to a Super Bowl, Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, Matt Ryan weren't able to get them past that, or at least maybe the Falcons defense wasn't able to. <laughs> <laughs> Better said. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's there's a lot of time there can be a ceiling dependent upon just how the quarterback takes to it and how ready he is and how good he is. Yeah. So I think with the weapons that this team has, with Aaron Jones, with A.J. Dillon, with Alan Lazard and, and, and Devontae Adams, a good offensive line, Robert Tunyon. You guys know the names. I don't need to spell yeah. them out for you. There's enough talent there for, for this offense, for Matt LaFleur and for Jordan Love to be successful. Now, what is that? What is that 23 points per game? Is that 24 points per game? Is that, you know, is that 28 points per game? Like, what is that? Um, and then, like... I think the thing that, that, that gets lost in the shuffle too, is that the entire game changes offense, defense, special teams. When Aaron Rodgers is at quarterback, the defense on the opposite side steps up because they know Aaron Rodgers is at quarterback. Like the offense knows that they've got to play a certain way and put up a certain amount of points because Aaron Rodgers is the opposing quarterback. The special teams changes and how like the entire game morphs when you're playing a guy like Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, et cetera. Now all of a sudden, you know, teams are going to play you a little bit different. It might be a little bit more of a ball control versus a ball control style offense. The points might not be as high on either side. The Packers defense probably starts looking a little bit better because the offense on the other side doesn't feel like they have to put up 35 points to win the game and aren't super aggressive and pulling out the kitchen sink to try to put up as many points as possible. That's a good point. 
That's a so, great point. Like every, everything changes and um, you know, how that equates into a record is the million dollar question. And that's what makes sports mm-hmm. so freaking fun. And to me, why the Packers are a primetime team to watch this season, even if Aaron Rodgers isn't there is because it's a, it's a tremendous case study. It's, it's yeah. good football. It's intriguing stories to keep an eye on is how does, how does this team that probably should have been in the Super Bowl a season ago and was certainly good enough to be a Super Bowl team now with this first round quarterback who takes over the reins from the MVP of the season, like from a season ago and Aaron Rodgers, how does he, how does that offense and that team survive in that, in that equation? That's what, that's what makes it so fun. And I know yeah. people will be upset and devastated if, if Rodgers is gone and there'll be others that'll be excited, I'm sure. But um, you know, as a fan of, of the Packers and as a fan of football, um, the, the journey is, is fun. And to me, that's a fun journey to take and to see how Jordan Love responds in that situation. If that's ultimately what ends up being the case, it might not be as fun of a journey. If Aaron Rodgers is there winning a Super Bowl. that's a, probably a more fun journey, uh, but it's a fun journey. Nonetheless, to kind of keep <laughs> yeah. an eye on. Well, I was just going to, I was just going to ask one last question if I could yeah. of the affordable given our cap situation available free agents. I know you've looked at a few, do you see any that are particularly strong fits that are likely arrivals? I don't think there's any likely arrivals if I'm being totally honest. I just think, you know, these are fun conversations to have. And all the five guys that I named in that video, I think are are logical, smart moves that Green Bay could make. Um, And again, it's not a bunch of big names, right? Like, I don't think most people are looking at their, you know, their, um, you know, whether it be Madden or whatever, and being like, ah, we got, we got to sign Virgil green. Right. But like, he's a smart signing because you don't have a backup blocking tight end. There's nobody else in the roster that can come close to doing what Mercedes Lewis does. And if you can get a Virgil green at a veteran minimum type of deal, bring him into camps that if something happens to Mercedes Lewis, you have another guy like that, there's value there. And if you had to ask me today, if I had to have Virgil green or, you know, Isaac Nauta or, um, you know, Bronson Kafusi as a defensive lineman turned tight end on the roster, I can tell you right now, a million times out of a million, give me Virgil green at a vet minimum over Bronson Kafusi every day of the week. Cause I want that. I want that experience. And I want somebody who can come in and block at tight end and be a viable option to make the team. So, um, you know, it's, it's things like that, that I think makes sense, but I don't think any's super likely at this point. I would, I wouldn't be betting any sort of money that they're going to pick up any of these guys before camp starts. Yeah. Well, I'm going to hold on to those dreams for Vic Beasley for just a couple <laughs> more days, because I'll tell you what, having him on the rush and uh, having a one year, see, that's what I love about the, the player, the reclamation projects, you know, the people that have that potential, but now you come to the green Bay Packers who have serious Super Bowl chances. What does that bring out of those players? I, I, I love that option, but, uh, and again, the more you, you know, bring some bring guys like that in on, on cheap deals going into training camp, right? Like it, there's there's it's super there's high reward, no risk, right? Yep. Yep. And, and I like I think that's something that teams don't do enough of is you know the, the first guys that I'm looking to sign if I can get on vet minimum deals are guys that were first round you know top picks you oh, know three four years ago maybe yeah. just didn't fit the right scheme system. Mm-hmm. And again, the thing I love about Vic Beasley is he's the he's the antithesis of what Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, and Zadarius Smith are. And I love coming in with a changeup for, you know, 10 plays, 10 snaps on defense where you've got Zadarius Smith and Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith just power punchers trying to go through you, throwing you to the ground. Like it is a bad day at the office for offensive tackles when you've got to go (laughs) Preston, Rashawn Gary for 12 rounds in a game and the last thing you're thinking is like all right finally somebody besides those guys are in i've been getting in the same slow stance just to protect no bull rush all game long and you finally see somebody else against you and you're like all right i can you know i'm going to do the same stuff and all of a sudden vic beasley's around you before you even blink an eye (laughs) and like if you can steal a handful of sacks a season just by bringing a guy in as a change up and when he has that type of first step quickness like those are the i don't know my mind's just weird that's how my mind is wired it works but i would like to see more things like that I love it. I love it. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a hell of an episode. And uh, listen, let everybody know where they can find you on the socials, bud. Hey, you can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. Um, that's, you know, find me there and everything else will be linked from there. So that's the awesome. best place to find me. Awesome. Well, everybody, uh, make sure you go out and follow Andy. Make sure you go out and check out Pack-A-Day Podcast on YouTube. It is five days a week and he is bringing seven exceptional- days a week. Seven days a week. I'm 65. <laughs> exceptional content, though, uh, just like you've heard right now. And uh, Andy, thank you very much for joining us. With that, Eric, take us out, bud. Andy, thanks so much for the education. Uh, it's 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 fascinating to uh, 
to, to listen to folks that know what they're talking about, which is <laughs> kind of foreign. Well. <laughs> it's cut foreign to some of us. Um, but anyways, thanks very much. Everybody have a great week and go back. Hey, gang, thanks for uh, hanging out with us for another episode of 101. Make sure you go back, check out 100 with Johnny Vitti, man. This guy is fantastic. Make sure you go out and follow him on Facebook, YouTube. Make sure you're following Andy Herman. I'm telling you, he's fantastic every day. Learn something new about the Packers. Thank you very much, Andy, for coming on out. And, hey, we cannot go any further without thanking Peter Prince and his fantastic music. He is an inspiration every day. And uh, thinking about you, big man. And also, tulipcreegardenco.com. If you're interested in getting into CBD, there's no other place to go. I'm talking from seed to bottle. Rachel, Jesse, doing their thing with CBD right out of the heart of America. Go check them out. tulipcreegardenco.com. And make sure you hit their website. They got more than just CBD. They got all kinds of unique gifts, man. It is awesome. Check it out. They support us. Support them. All right, guys. Until next time, be good to one another. Drop a hug. Just be nice. All right.